This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Scott, you ready? Curdy B, I am so ready to have a great time with you today. Well, strap in, because <laughs> scientists want to build a sperm bank on the moon. And why wouldn't they? Let's find out on Bananas. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Bananas. I am Kurt Brownoller. I am Scotty Landis. Thank you for listening to the silliest little podcast there ever was, Kurt. I'm going to tee you up a little bit. I think you have some stuff to plug, home dog. I do have a really quick plug, guys, before we bring on our fantastic guest. What a guest. I have not done stand-up in over a year. The last place I was supposed to do stand-up March, I don't know, March 13th uh, in Portland, Oregon in yep. 2020, and I canceled that show. Why? And now I'm dipping my toe back in. I, we're doing this experiment. I'm doing a weekend at Helium in Portland. Go. Yay. 13th 14th and 15th that's thursday friday and saturday it is uh i'm you know biden just said everybody's gonna ha- be able to get a shot by may 1st so i hope everybody goes gets a shot may 1st you're vaccinated two weeks later come on to the show yep uh everyone who works there should be vaccinated by that point it's it's a very limited capacity it's less than i think it's like a third capacity it's only 100 100 tickets per show cool. the space is like 300 to 400 seats usually uh, so I think it's going to be really safe and I think it's going to be really fun and come and watch me do stand up for the first time in a fucking year. Uh, it'll be really crazy. So May 13th through 15th in Portland, Oregon at Beautiful. Helium. Um, anyway, are you guys ready uh, for this introduction for our fantastic? I'm ready guest because guy? I, this guest, uh, more people recommended this guest to be a guest on bananas than any other guest we've <gasps> ever had. And oh, I think, I and that. yeah. All ages, all genders, all people. We're teeing her up so much. We're building our guest up so much, but she's still going to exceed these expectations. She is. She is an MIT engineer turned Emmy-nominated science TV host. You've seen Mm. her shows, Mm -hmm. Emily's Wonder Lab on Netflix and Exploration Space on Fox. She's also been a guest on Bill Nye, fucking Bill Nye. She's got a bunch of TEDx talks you should really watch, which we'll talk about later. She's absolutely fantastic. Please welcome the wonderful Emily Calandrelli. Hello, hello, hello. Did I say having me? Thank you for coming on. Did I say your name right? Yeah, that you nailed it. First time. Great job. I usually check. I usually check. I apologize for winging it on that one. Hi, Emily. Hello. Welcome to the show. I I was just telling you before 
uh, that my daughter is a huge fan of Emily's Wonder Lab, and yep. I am too. And yep. I cannot believe so. Th- this show is if you haven't seen it on Netflix, it's an absolutely wonderful kids science show. Um, and you shot the whole thing nine months pregnant. Yeah, eight and nine months pregnant. It was uh, quite wow. an experience. They called me, um, I think, when I was five months pregnant to tell wow. us that they had picked up the show, which dream so exciting. True. Yeah, uh, so I don't exciting. know if you've ever had Netflix call you to tell you that uh, they want to pick up a show of yours, but it's a pretty great feeling. Um, and then they asked me, <laughs> do we want to f- do we want to film the show before or after the baby comes? And I was like, I've never had a baby before. I hear that it's hard. Um, let's yep. film it. Not easy. Yeah. Before. Um, and so we sort of, you know, we did all the pre-production and, and testing of all the experiments pretty quickly soon after that so that we could hit that timeline because we had a we had a timeline. <laughs> the baby was yeah. going to come eventually. So, yeah, we got hit the ground run, running. I I am so impressed. I uh, w- my wife and I have two children, and I know that that last those last six weeks they're real rough, and being in production is real rough. Like you are a superhero. Kind Thank of. you. Thank you. Luckily, it only took about six days to film the entire season. And so they were pretty long days and there were lots of naps in between, um, lots of, <laughs> lots of water and then lying flat uh, whenever I could. But yeah, we, we made it happen. That's wow. so rad. Well, that's Good for you. That's fantastic. amazing. I actually had Netflix call me and tell me that they were shelving a series that we had shot the entire thing. <laughs> so I've had both I was experiences. In it. I was in one yeah, of those. And Kurt episodes. was in the funniest episode, um, and they were like, "Hey, uh, we're not ever showing this." And I was like, "Very good. Thank you <laughs> cool. so much. Cool, cool, uh, so cool, crazy. Cool. Really the good. Amount of money. Just imagine the amount of money to make uh, eight episodes, ten episodes of we television. Made, we yeah, we we shot ten, we edited eight, and then we got the word that they wanted to reshoot one, and then um, they called and we're like, you know what? And so we were like, well, can we just release it then? Like, we you just paid yeah, nine million dollars or whatever, and they were like, no. It's gone forever. And I was like, very cool. Thank you so much. But you know what? We didn't do any science experiments. I'm going to be honest. That would have <laughs> that would have helped us a lot. Oh, but that is lot. heartbreaking. That's I don't envy that experience. Yeah, who cares? Hard. Who cares? So it Kurt. Sounds like you maybe need to talk to a therapist about that. <laughs> Thank you. That's what I'm doing right now. I was really hoping you two could help me out. Yeah. <laughs> Are you ready for some space news, guys? Love it. Oh, yeah. Uh, scientists want to build a sperm bank on the moon. This is from the New York Post. Uh, it's It was in everywhere. Yep. I tend to not pull from the Post if I can avoid it. Right. Um, but I think the Post just kind of summed it up the best. This That's what they Hannah do. Sparks. They do. They just sum it up in a easy way. Um, <laughs> scientists have begun to lay plans for repopulation, starting with a sperm bank on the moon and what they're calling a, quote, modern global insurance policy. Mechanical engineers have proposed that humans... I also love that, uh, like, that... <laughs> that this is just a proposal. Literally, these guys could be fucking lunatics, mm-hmm. but they've put a proposal together and published it somewhere, and now everyone's just like, scientists want to build a sperm bank on the moon, when it's yeah. literally like three weirdos want to do Scientists are like, don't put this on us. <laughs> we, did not, we did not collectively yeah. decide this. This was not We don't want to do it. Yeah, exactly. We're, <laughs> we're not that big a fan of this idea. New York Post um, is. 
So basically, I, I won't read the whole thing. It's basically the idea is to take um, 50 sperm and ova from every uh, species on planet Earth and then put it in an ark that would then be oh. built underground on the moon. Oh. And like the quote that they have here is very weird, I think. Uh, quote, Earth is, a natu- is naturally a volatile environment, said study author Jekin Thanga, whose team at the University of Arizona submitted their report, Lunar Pits and Lava Tubes for a Modern Arc, at the Annual Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers Aerospace Conference on Sounds Saturday. Sounds cool. Sounds fun. Uh, he, so he's saying due to, like, Earth's instability, it would be better if we had a sperm bank on the moon. But it definitely seems like... Uh, the moon is a pretty rough environment yeah, as well, Yeah, the moon right? is not super friendly to humans. It, it sounds right. kind of like we have like a seed bank in, where is it, like Antarctica, where they keep all of the world's yes. seeds of plants. And it sounds like they're trying to do that for mammals. Yes, uh, that, and that is exactly the second part of this, uh, this article. You uh, predicted the article. I did not read this article. I can assure you I did not read this article. (laughs) Quickly Um, turned the page even. Looked at the article and was like, no, I'm a scientist. No, thank you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess this is in case there's some global uh, annihilation event. Then people, yeah. I don't know, aliens Can't are going to go to the moon and then uh, asteroid like the dinosaurs. I mean, that doesn't sound like the worst idea I've ever I've ever heard. Now that I think about it from that context, so. sounds like scientists are planning this sperm bank. Right <laughs> <now. laughs> the scientists got are another like, one let's on board. rethink this. Maybe we should revisit this idea. <laughs> Okay, yeah. All right, but is it just going to be some cold, boring like cell? Like they need to if they're going to do this, make it look awesome. Make it like the coolest most decorated vault you've ever seen. Make it look like a nursery or make it look like an ark. Build a giant boat, put yeah. a uh Long John Silvers at one end with some robots that work it. Just like get into <laughs> it cuz that's how you get Americans excited about things. You have to you have to pitch Spice it and make it, it pretty. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, this was sent in by Grapefruit Girl on of Instagram. Course. Thank, Thank you, you, Grapefruit, Grapefruit Girl. Girl. Yeah. So you started off, off interning at NASA, right? As a, I did. As a student? Yes, when I was an undergrad. So I studied aerospace engineering for eight years. And wow. some of those summers I worked at NASA. I worked at NASA Ames in California and NASA Glenn in Ohio. And yeah, they were like very cool experiences to just, you know, have a few weeks to understand what NASA actually does. Oh, that's great. And then you, and how did you get into science communicating? Yeah. Um, Well, I got a call from a production company when I was graduating from MIT that was basically just like, would you like to be the host of a space TV show? Um, They had like found me because throughout my college experience, I was one of the few women in engineering and I did particularly well. And I think that the universities that I was part of, they helped, especially my undergrad, West Virginia University, um, oh. promoted me a lot to talk about engineering and science and space. And so there's a lot of videos out there of me doing that. And so I think when they Googled like space people, space girl, I came <laughs> up. Um, Good. And yeah, Good. they asked me if I wanted to do this. I'd never had any experience with TV mm-hmm. or production or literally quite anything like it. Um, and I said yes, because I thought it sounded like it, an adventure. And that was eight years ago now. That is crazy. Because yeah. when I watch your shows, 
you are very you I, I've hosted shows before and I know that it is no easy task to t- speak direct to camera and keep it feeling like alive and like you're just thinking of it as you're saying it and you are you're excellent at it you're very you're yep you do a great job well so thank you I think you no... should look at my early work uh, <laughs> hey there's a <laughs> learning curve for everything there's a know? learning curve uh, <laughs> and I think I am just good at uh, criticizing myself highly. And so I'll just like watch myself and be like, Ugh, gross. Why do I hate that? And then try to figure out. Right. <laughs> why but that's really myself. true. A lot of stand-up comedians start to get their first TV appearances and you can, you only, it's only when you see yourself on TV so many times, even when it's edited and like, if you have no part in the, in the editing, you see yourself and you go, I didn't know I did that. I didn't know I looked like that. I didn't know I like held my head that way. And it is the fastest way to make big adjustments in your yeah. looks and mannerisms and hap- everything. It's crazy. My yeah. first, my first stand up was on John Oliver's stand up special on Comedy Central, and I had brought a shirt. I'd like shopped for hours to find the right <laughs> shirt to bring. And I brought it, and then they like tested it, and it just happened to be the exact same color as the background. Uh, and they're like, "You can't wear this shirt." And so then I end up, they're like, literally, like, "You can have this shirt." And it was literally like just a shirt that was lying around, oh. and it was like way too big for me, and it was this horrible color. And so my first, and it was like literally like right before we were going on, I was like, "Fine," and I put it on. And so my first like stand up performance is in this like really oversized blousey, like light hot, <laughs> light blue. Oh. Oh my god! What a way to like kick your confidence right before you're supposed to be yeah. funny. It happens. I yeah. I went down to West Virginia University my junior year of college. I had a friend whose younger brother is a freshman there, and I went to UMass. So I went to a big state school, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, UMass is also known as a party school. It's a very like all the colleges around there, even the colleges in Boston and like Harvard. All the schools come to UMass to party on weekends. Uh, we don't compete with West Virginia University. I, we met, well, it was long drive, uh, it was right after 9-11, so we drove. We were like, everybody's still a little skittish about flying. And so we drive down, and we meet my friend's younger brother. They all have fake IDs. We go out to bars. It was like quarter pitchers. It was wild. And we just spent the whole night kind of doing that. And then when we eventually went to this off-campus house where, I don't know, six college freshmen and sophomore lived... Um, there was no door on the house. The house had no front door. Uh, there were leaves and sticks blowing into the door. This is November, December. Um, I was on winter break and I slept in the living room upstairs on a horrible, disgusting futon that I'm still taking penicillin for. And we, in it, in the morning, I was so cold and I looked down and snow had blown into the house. And then his younger brother comes up and goes, man, it's cold. It snowed. And I go, oh, yeah, did it? I, I've been laying wide awake, freezing all night. So I go, when did you guys lose your front door? He goes, we had a party the first week we got the house. And somebody ripped the door off to make a beer pong table. So, so from September to December, they just were door free. And I was wow. like, 
Morgantown, That's, baby. What a school. Okay. Well, yeah, it is one experience. Yeah. What I love about WVU is that we definitely have that party reputation. And I think sure. that uh, on one hand, it teaches people lots of really great social skills. Yes. Um, <laughs> because engineers and scientists are not usually known for being the most socially adept humans. And so I am very grateful that I went to a school that... Um, valued social interaction Um, but (laughs) uh, at the same time i mean their engineering college is one of the top ones in the country we have um robotics competitions every year that are nasa sponsored and consistently wvu teams beat teams from mit and carnegie mellon and like these names that you recognize as like really smart schools especially when it comes to robotics and it's like WVU, I feel like, has got a really cool combination of all of those things. Absolutely. Oh, that's great. Absolutely. Um, that reminds me of your TEDx talk about coal um, mm-hmm. and about making science nicer. And I think that's such a critical idea. Could you yes. briefly sum up what you're talking about in that for people who haven't seen it? Yeah. Uh, basically, I talk about how being from West Virginia and Um, knowing that West Virginia is number one in the entire country when it comes to fewest percentage of people that believe that global warming is happening and also being a science communicator Mm -hmm. that has totally influenced the way that I talk about science. Cause I know that the people from West Virginia, um, the reason that they don't believe in climate change or some people from West Virginia don't believe in climate change. It's like a very nuanced issue. And it mostly has to do with how powerful the coal industry is there. Mm -hmm. They influence what's being taught to children. Mm -hmm. They pay for kids to go on cute field trips to coal mines. They pay for so many various commercials. They pay for so many various politicians. And so it's like this culture of brainwashing in general. And Uh, When I talk about science and climate change, I think of all of these kids and I think of these people. And I think you have to first address all of the issues that they've faced from the dying coal industry, which is like they've lost their jobs. I mean, my dad lost his job at a coal company when I was growing up. Like that's it's such an apparently West Virginian experience to have some uh, problem that that you face because the coal industry has gone under. Um, And so before we talk about climate change, we kind of have to first address that economic issue and all the problems that flow from it before Mm -hmm. we talk about education. Wow. Yeah. And I, I, I love that it really resonated with me because I do see oftentimes science communicators, especially on Twitter, where it's like, you dumb fucks. <laughs> of course global warming is real. Go fuck yourself. And I'm just like, no one is being convinced by that argument. And no. it's yeah. such a critical, that's like one of the main things we need to like do in order to lo- live on this planet. Yeah. yeah. Telling them I, they're stupid is not usually the most effective way to change their mind. Nope. No, nope. Scotty, you got all right. Morning? Yeah, let's let's dumb it down a little bit. Yeah. AC Parker seventeen. AC Parker seventeen sent this in. Thank you so much. A uh, woman diagnosed with Crohn's disease actually had a ketchup packet in her intestine for six <laughs> years. So this was written by the one, the only Jessica Schalderbeck. The best Kurt. in the best. Kurt, she's so good at typing, it's crazy. And New York Daily News, uh, this was everywhere, sent in by so many bananas, but AC Parker 17 was the first. Crohn sucks, we all know that. A uh, woman's believed uh, she was suffering from Crohn's disease for six years. 
until doctors performed a surgery and discovered a ketchup packet in the lining of her intestine. The four... I know... There's a lot of questions. Uh, the 41-year-old patient had symptoms consistent with the serious bowel disease, including acute abdominal pain, I bet, uh, bloating that sometimes lasted up to three days. But she was not Sometimes responding. just eating ketchup packets. <laughs> yeah, just snacking Wolfing on condiments. <laughs> yeah, maybe not the smartest uh, digestive decision. <laughs> but she wasn't responding to standard medical treatments. Um, doctors at Heatherwood in Wexham Park Hospital eventually opted for surgery where they uncovered the root of the patient's pain. Two small foreign objects had pierced the woman's intestine and left it inflamed. Uh, What was the second one? It was two packets with Heinz on them. So, you know, nobody can eat just one. (laughs) You can never eat just one ketchup packet. (laughs) So the doctors immediately removed the plastic ketchup wrappers, and the symptoms dissipated almost immediately. She remained... I mean, like, what a relief for that woman. I mean, like, Crohn's is such a difficult disease to deal with. Yes. And then just to know that you... (laughs) The best part is, like... Does she remember eating the ketchup packets? Kurt, you're so good at segues. I will hug you when we're allowed to. She remained in good condition since surgery. The woman said she had no memory of eating the sachet of sauce. Okay, calm down, Jessica. The sachet of sauce. Nor a meal where she would have mistakenly done so. She doesn't remember. Drinking, right? Maybe drinking. We're thinking maybe... Or just a dare really, of some kind, uh, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, this is terrifying. See. As a man who's eaten a quarter on, like, just for fun, yeah. Uh, I had no idea these things could happen. <laughs> these bad things could happen. Uh, d- was there any context to that? Oh, I was doing David? a magic trick. Oh, okay. <laughs> that wasn't magic. I was faking magic. And then I popped a quarter in my mouth. And but you didn't actually eat it. And I really swallowed it. And you and did then, swallow it. And then people first were like, that's amazing magic trick. And then they're like, wait, did you just swallow a quarter? And then they got very grossed out by me. And also, uh, are and you okay? Not... Yeah, Do you yeah. feel I like was totally you have Crohn's disease? I don't think I have change. I don't think I have change in me. Yeah, you shit two dimes and a nickel four weeks later. Uh, <laughs> this, is not the, this is not the first time this sort of thing has happened. There was a similar case involving a 35-year-old man. This one's a little more understandable, maybe, uh, who believed that he had Crohn's disease until surgery revealed it was a toothpick in his intestine. Ugh. Uh, doctors say that this is the first time that, quote, synthetic plastic packaging mimicked symptoms of a life-altering disease. There we go. Oh, my God. Fascinating. I mean, it is a relief. You know, a lifelong thing. I'm sure this was extremely painful. And then now she's free bird. But that is weird. Two ketchup packets. Hmm. Two. That's tough. I can't imagine a situation in which I eat one. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be honest with you. Yeah, unless it's you a magic ate trick. a quarter, I think <laughs> that you probably could imagine this scenario. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine it, but I can't imagine doing it and then being like, "I have no I idea." I didn't know how, how I did that. <laughs> yeah, and it made it pretty far, as far as you know. The ketchup packet <laughs> made it pretty far. It made it. You know, you would think she would maybe choke on it or feel it. Mm. Or no, she yeah, was sure. digesting this thing. She might have been a couple <laughs> years away from freedom. Gosh, I um. I had a buddy who was a roommate um, in college, and I used to just sign him up for everything uh, when the internet was sort of new and amazing. So I would, he would get, 
you know, free diapers and uh, <laughs> a baby formula and Bibles and anything you could go online and just put somebody's address in. He would get it, my buddy John. And I, I must have done it one time where I entered him in a Heinz ketchup slogan contest. It was called no. Say Something Ketchupy, and he won. So I was sitting in my living room, and, and he walks out. John walks out of his bedroom, and he's like, did somebody enter me in the Heinz Say Something Ketchupy contest? I have a question. Yes, sir. Is this the guy, is this the guy who would play guitar in the park with his with No, guitar? no, no. That was oh, in Brooklyn. That was, that that was, was uh, okay. we'll call him Zane for future stories. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, Emily, I may have lived with a serial killer, but uh, we'll figure. <laughs> we're, we're working on it. Okay. Kurt met him. He can back it up. Uh, okay. <laughs> But so, and I forgot I did. I used to just go to the university library and just sit there and Google like free stuff. And so Heinz, the the idea was that if you had the winning slogan for their label, they would print like 1 million bottles with it. You'd win 5,000 bucks and something else. So I was like, we're rich. I was like, I did it. I did it for you. And he said, um, well, they have like a letter. And then the letter said like, you won. Uh, here's a T-shirt that says your logo with a, but that they weren't putting my slogan on because uh, they gave it to this other one that, and the other one I remember was uh, best if best if eaten, best if eaten, which is so boring. That's not great, and so they put that on a million bottles. Mine was take me to your wiener. <laughs> and they refused to put it on, and I actually got an email that was like, "You won, but." Uh, <laughs> We're not going to take me it. to your wiener. Yeah, we're not taking take That's me to your one. wiener. It was so sweet, and uh, <laughs> I think John stills the shirt. John, wear it to my wedding. <laughs> Curdy B, do you want to tease us into an awesome break? I will tease us into an awesome break. How does that sound? Uh, Halifax man receives mysterious three-headed taxidermic duckling in the mail. Emily, I think you get the vibe of our show now based on these three <laughs> like, stories alone. Where I feel like I spend so much time on Twitter and reading so many news stories, and I have never in my life come across <laughs> stories like this. These are from this week, so yeah. it's a weird world. Welcome oh. to Bananas. Yeah. Bananas. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Scotty, what should we tell everybody before we bring our sweet guest back on? Oh, well, what we should say is uh, you can call the banana phone. I'm still answering it. I think I have to do it until August. So keep calling me, 213-214-7974. I've had a million great conversations. I had... I have some Australians and some Kiwis calling me now, and Luke on the South Island, who told me not to mention him, has called me from New Zealand twice. Luke, I love you. I hope you're still listening. And uh, send us your weird news stories so we can keep confusing our wonderful guests like Emily uh, to thebananaspodcast at uh, gmail.com or thebananaspodcast on Instagram, and you're the best. You are the best. Emily Calandrelli is our guest uh, she's absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there going to be another uh, seri- season of Emily's Wonder Lab? That's a great question. That is the question that I am oh. also asking. You're um, on a okay. hook right now. You're, you're on. You're on tender hooks waiting. I would love it. I think 
the impact that this type of show had is one that I haven't seen in a long time. Yes. Um, especially Tell if you about it. like, I mean, if you're a parent, um, yes. finding science material that is fun to watch for kids, yes. that kids just enjoy that is easy to watch for parents. Um, and that the scientific community looks at and is like, yeah, that checks out. That's legitimate. That's yeah. there. You're learning all the oh, right things. Like it's, awesome. it, it has all of those things. And the bonus is that it's hosted by a woman, which is nice yep. because like for me growing up, the only science people I saw on TV and movies that I read mm-hmm. about in books, all guys, all guys. Yes. And I, I, I think that sometimes maybe people who work at networks don't quite understand how unique that is to have something like that. And so, I mean, on Halloween, I had a ton of girls around the world dress oh. up as me oh, I love as, because they wanted to be a scientist for Halloween. Yes, that's cool. And I'm like, how, and some of them even put like a pillow in their stomach to be pregnant. Because <laughs> like, that's what they that's said. So that's cool. what they thought a scientist looked like, which is mind shifting. It that is like completely... Is... It's a shift in how you think about what a scientist and an engineer looks 100%, like. 100%. Yeah. When I dress up as a scientist, I have to be pregnant because scientists are pregnant. Scientists Aww. are pregnant. Scientists <laughs> are also that. moms. And That's so, so yeah. And so we are crossing our fingers that it gets picked up because like the, oh, the problem, the challenge is, is that cartoons are cheaper. Right. Right. And so I think there has to be some sort of business decision made to say, yeah, we want to invest in something like this because it did well by numbers, but it also has value. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think unless you consider the value add, then you're always going to just make more cartoons. But hopefully, um, yeah. yeah. I think that's what Comedy Central's done. They are now only cartoons. Mm. <laughs> Funny, uh, and nobody watches it anymore. Humans. Yeah. Um, also, Bananimals, right. if you haven't watched Emily's Wonder Lab on Netflix, watch the hell out of it. The Netflix cares more about numbers than anywhere else, any other they streamer. Really so every person here has never seen it, especially if you're kids, but also if you're just curious about science, watch it. Leave it on when you go to school. Watch the hell out of it. <laughs> Agreed. Yes, I love all of that. I hope you get All it. All right. You want to hear about this uh, taxidermic duckling? More than anything in my whole life, Kurt. This was sent in by a whole ton of bananimals. It was. Uh, T. Nicole Holland was the first one I saw. She this rocks. This is in our favorite CBC. All right. Woo! Hey, Canada. By Love Canada. Emma Smith. Mm. Best writer in the business. That is correct. Here we go. Brent Broughton of Halifax. Halifax. Sorry. <laughs> Halifax. Yeah. Is Get now ready. in possession of a taxidermic three-headed duckling, and he has no idea why. Thank it you. arrived in the mail last week in a unassuming cardboard box that Love sat that. on his table unopened for hours because he figured it was a Pilates ball he'd ordered online. <laughs> yes. It wasn't. Quote, I tore away at the pack- plastic and packaging, and then one of the ducklings' faces emerged, and I immediately sort of jumped back, as you would. Yes. Uh, 
When I gained the courage to go back to the box and dig a little bit further, I noticed it wasn't just one head, but there were three ducklings' faces staring back at me. Totally cool. The package is addressed to Broughton with a return address in China, so he's certain the duck delivery wasn't a mail mix-up. Quote, they were definitely intended for me, but I certainly did not order these ducklings. To be sure, Broughton didn't accidentally make the order on eBay after a night of drinking, something he admits has happened on occasion. He checked the bank statements. (laughs) He can find no evidence that he sought out the strange item himself. So, there's the only thing in the package (laughs) is a piece of paper that explains how to care for it. Right. So, he went online and then followed these instructions. Instruction number one. Let, and this is how it's written. Let your new arrival sit out in the sun or in the air for 48 hours after opening the package. Okay. Uh, second instruction was to, this is something I found kind of strange. It asked me to use a regular hair blow dryer to fluffy the duck's feathers. Uh, and then he posted all of them. And what is the third one? It doesn't say. Um, but these people, some, somebody at CBC did some digging online, and then the email address is attached to a Chinese zoologist who appears to be well-known for his work preserving larger Great. animals like elephants and giraffes. Um, yeah, and this is the last quote. Quote, I really hope that I do find out who sent it to me. I figure it's either a friend who really likes the idea of giving me a mystery or it's an enemy who's trying yeah. to send a cursed object to me. I and do not. it is very weird looking. It's It's a naturally... Born three-headed duckling, oh, I and it's see. In, okay. cased in glass. It's very weird. Also, stuffing birds, I've found out, is illegal in the United States. So Why? Um, we're not allowed to do it. I have no idea. <laughs> the only reason I know is because many, many years ago, Scotty was involved with this. Uh, my Ooh. comedy partner and I, Kristen Shaw, made a web series that was then turned into a TV pilot called Penelope Princess of Pets. Yes, it was. Uh, and it was all about a girl who could talk to animals and had to kill a senator in order to save the world. Yep. Um, and I was her... Uh, I was her... Uh, Adopted. Her orphan. Orphaned. Orphaned. <laughs> <laughs> I was her orphan best friend who rode around in Heelys. Yep. And we had... And she had a bird. Totally normal. Because uh, she could talk to animals. So she had a little red bird uh, who was very drunk all the time. Ruby. In her yep. pocket. Ruby. Voiced by Brett Gelman, who is now on Stranger Things and many, many, many other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a very foul-mouthed drunk bird. And mm-hmm. so we, I looked and searched and searched and searched for an actual taxidermied bird that we could actually like unhinge the, uh, you know, the beak oh, and make right. him into a puppet. That's right, right. And they're, you're not allowed to taxidermy birds anymore. So the only ones that are available are incredibly expensive because huh. they were taxidermied in like the 1940s. So I, that was actually the case in 2005. Wonder, Isn't that weird? I mean, you can taxidermy like so many things. And yeah. So why not birds? I don't yeah, know. And maybe it was either. a thing. Maybe it's over. Maybe you can do it now. But in 2005, hmm. that's what I was told online is that like that's why these are so expensive um, because we were like producing everything ourselves. So but we yeah. eventually had a puppeteer make the bird um, and uh she did an absolutely fantastic job. Annie uh, Fresh? So, yeah. No, not Annie Fresh. Oh. Uh, our friend, Jess Locker. Oh! Uh, who wasn't a puppeteer. She was just like, yeah, I can make a, a puppet bird for you. And it's th- literally the best puppet bird I've ever seen. In the history of the world. Uh, ever, ever, ever. Emily, so you have ever, ever get a, a gift that you have no idea who it came from? Ever get that Amazon order that you just did an order? Anybody... 
I mean, no, I've had my Amazon packages stolen. So like the, the worst. reverse of uh, the worst. <laughs> yeah. getting something you somebody else expect. got it. Somebody else got something they didn't expect. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, unfortunately. But when we did have our packages stolen, we set up a spy cam yeah. to try to, because we lived in an apartment complex. So we didn't have any like those fancy like ring doorbells or anything. We just had a, the very cheap spy cam. And we also had my infant daughter at the time. And so what we did was we collected all of her dirty diapers and yeah. we put them inside of a box and yes. wrapped it up. And then I, I made this kind of like exploding mechanism where I uh, took so it was like a rubber band in the spring and I just yes. wrapped it up together. Yes. And then I put, yes. um, what was this? It was a uh, powdered sugar all in it too. And so when they opened yes. it up, it would be just this spring-loaded mechanism that would explode yes. powdered sugar in their face, but also a mix of like disgusting infant <laughs> poop. Um, yes. So we left that outside for them, and then on the package said something like, "Like we made it look like it was from Amazon or something." We had oh, that little battery so sticker on the side, so it looked like yes. it was an expensive one, Ooh, um, yeah. and said something on the on the front text that in text that looked very official, but was like you scum you stole from me you deserve this or something like that and i was like if you right that second to read this you wouldn't have to deal with this um and so that package got stolen really no oh, yeah yes science oh, applied yeah. to the real world i love this that's exactly yeah. what we hope oh god oh, was it such a great stolen? story did anybody jack it or yeah did you? oh yeah it was it was stolen in a pro like literally what we caught that on best. camera was two guys walking through the hallways of our apartment <laughs> complex with a trash bag yeah. and they were collecting the packages. They weren't even looking. They were just like throwing reverse them. Santa. It was reverse Santa. And it was, it was like, so distraught. I was distraught to see a human yeah. act like that. I was like, you guys, this is like not a wealthy gated community. You are in an apartment complex. Like, why are yes. you stealing from us? Get out of here. Yeah. yeah, good. Well, I, I'm glad you served a little justice. That's the, yeah. that's. I hate so that. That's great. the little worst. poop justice. <laughs> I know. Every once in a while, when I'm very, very bored, and I think Kurt knows this, I'll just Google two names and wedding registry. Uh, not last names, just first names. You know. Troy and Dave or Michelle and Steve. <laughs> and then whatever one comes up, I just send them the cheapest gift and leave the gift note. So I have no idea who these people are. And I'll just be like, if you guys don't make it, none of us will. And I always do it. I've done it 30 times in the past five years. It's the funniest thing to me that somebody just that gets like an ice cream scooper. Is amazing. And, then, and I don't sign it from Scotty or Skylanders. I just write a gift note and put like dash S. But it's always just like, you're the ones, guys. All of us are rooting for you. <laughs> oh, I love to imagine those couples being like, I've gone through my list. You've gone through your list. We don't know who to write the thank you note to. Exactly. <laughs> for this it's this goddamn just ice cream scooper. <laughs> I just did That's it right. recently for a baby shower for somebody I do know, but I was not sent the registry. And yeah. she was like, what? the fuck dude and i was like i, I know your names i know your husband's name uh it's a fun thing to do if you're really bored mm -hmm. and you uh you know if you don't know what to do with that stimulus check give it to charity and then if you have ten dollars left buy an ice cream scooper for a weirdo in a town that you've never been to <laughs> speaking of which okay this one's kind of long so let's talk our way okay. through it uh because okay. it was sent in by so so many people and it really should be a movie um the bizarre tale of the world's last lost 
tourist who thought Maine was San Francisco. Oh, yeah. So this one's going wild today. Um, this episode will probably be out two weeks later, and you all will have known it. But basically, uh, this was sent in by Juliet Tibbs or Juliet Ibs and Wooden Tapes uh, and 50, uh, 50 Other Bananimals. Written by Andrew Chammings. Thank you, Andrew. Your words complete me. Uh, in 1977, a 49-year-old German beer brewer named Erwin Kreutz uh, blew his life savings on his first time on an airplane, a once-in-a-lifetime birthday trip for himself to San Francisco. Oh. Oh, He'd wow. seen it on TV. He'd seen it on magazines. He wanted to visit the Wild West. Uh, as the World Airways flight from Frankfurt stopped to refuel in Bangor, Maine, at a small airport, a stewardess, now called flight attendant, who finished her shift, told Kreutz to, quote, have a nice time in San Francisco. Her choice of words would change Kreutz's life. Kreutz, here's a little bit about Kreutz, y'all. Kreutz typically enjoyed drinking 17 beers a day, and he was a little groggy. On hearing this, he grabbed his suitcase, rushed off the plane, went through customs, jumped in a cab, and told the driver to take him to the city. He wandered around Bangor for three days, enjoying the sights and sounds of Maine. Uh, unfortunately, Kreutz thought he was in San Francisco. <laughs> this is incredible. This is so sweet. Within a week... Kreutz became an international celebrity and even made the Today Show and a Time, and Time magazine what? and was handed the key to San Francisco. He became a folk hero as the world's last lost tourist. So, outside of one day trip over the border into Switzerland, Kreutz had never stepped foot out of Germany, ever let alone boarded an airplane. He spoke only German, no English whatsoever, and that plays into this a little bit. Oh, uh, yeah. from, he was from a small Bavarian village that brews beer, and he worked at a local brewery. What year is this? What year? The 77, 1977. 77. So he was... Why are we talking to, about it now? Why? What came up? Uh, yeah, someone, the, I think an article just came out recently. The article now. just came out this week about, like, can you imagine this? story. With the yeah. internet and smartphones, like this type of thing almost feels impossible. So mm -hmm. I think everybody's feeling a little nostalgic. And also I think people are looking forward to traveling in a very uh -huh. big way. Hardcore way, yeah. So the cab driver, once he got off the plane, uh, the Kreutz uh, took him to downtown Bangor, which is not a very big city. Uh, he checked into the Bangor House Hotel, walked the streets a little, found a tavern to quench his almighty thirst. At one point, Kreutz was reassured by the sight of two Chinese restaurants in town, something he knew was in San Francisco from movies. <laughs> Interesting. And then the rusted green bridge that links Bangor to neighboring Brewer was clearly not the Golden Gate Bridge, but Kreutz thought it was and carried on regardless. So I'll, I'll kind of jump ahead a little bit. So, um, <laughs> I mean, this is pretty good. So Kreutz decided he must be in a Bay Area suburb. He hailed a taxi and asked the driver uh, in broken English to take him to downtown San Francisco. The driver sped away and thought Kreutz was crazy. Kreutz returned <laughs> back to a bar unsure of himself he suddenly knew something well he tried to get help from a waitress the language barrier was too wide so she put him in touch with a, a gentleman named uh oh no i'm 
maybe oh no, a woman, sorry, named Gertrude Romine, who was a Czechoslovakian immigrant who spoke German. Romine says, it was so funny. I was the first person to tell him about his monumental error. He couldn't speak a lick of English and didn't know he was, there were hills around San Francisco. When he saw hills around Bangor, he just figured he was in the right place. Um, so basically it spreads like wildfire. The news picks it up. San Francisco Examiner goes, let's fly him out here and teach him that San Francisco is a real place. Uh, Kreutz became an honorary member of the Penobscot, the Penobscot Indian Nation. There's a folk song written about him. He was thrown a 50th birthday party and visited by the governor of Maine. He was even gifted an acre of scrubland in northern Maine as an act of goodwill that he paid taxes on his entire life. Even He would send a check whenever the taxes would come in. Oh this guy God. is such a sweetie. Uh, while still in Bagor, <laughs> the wayward um, German, who was now beloved, uh, met the town seal. He met the town seal, guys. Who I hope kissed. that there's a still a town seal in Bangor, Maine. Oh, yeah. And he got a, a Kreutz got a kiss during a photo op from the seal. Erwin Kreutz met Andre the seal, the comment said, uh, on Thursday morning. They must have a lot to talk about because they have a great deal in common. Neither one speaks a word of English. I mean, <laughs> don't dunk on this guy. He's a this sweet man. <laughs> so I'll jump to the end here. San Francisco Examiner did indeed fly Kreutz out to vacation in San Francisco. When he was there, he was treated like a visiting dignitary. He met the mayor, George Moscone. Kreutz told him about his 17-day <laughs> beers-a-day diet, um, <laughs> and w- to which the mayor said, well, that beats the heck out of me, uh, on a whirlwind tour of cable cars. He rode the cable cars. Who wouldn't? He was plied with gifts, three marriage proposals. He was named an honorary member of the Wong Family Association <laughs> at the Empress of China Restaurant. It's the greatest story. It needs to be a movie, and Mark Ruffalo needs to be this guy. Um <laughs> So Time Magazine ran a story. Everybody just thought it was this exceptional thing. Tom Brokaw talked about him. Uh, And so, yeah, the mayor of San Francisco presented him with a proclamation declaring that San Francisco does, in fact, exist. And then he had to fly back because he had to work at the brewery. So he only spent four days in San Francisco after all of this. It was just a whirlwind. And he still lives in Maine? That's the... He kind. It's again wonderful segue. Thank you, Emily. Yeah, you're uh, welcome. No, it's exactly. So they p- gave him a giant tag, like a luggage tag, and uh, there's a photo <laughs> of it. We'll post all this on our Instagram, y'all. Uh, it's as big as it's six foot tag that says "Please let me off in Frankfurt," <laughs> which is so good. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, like manufactured that so quickly for this bit. Do you know what I yes. mean? Like he was there for four days. So like, got to get him a six foot bit luggage tag. <laughs> yes, he did it. Uh, so he gets back and he said at the Frankfurt airport in Germany, if Kennedy can say "Ich bin Berliner," then I can say "I am a Bangor," which is great. This guy <laughs> totally great. gets it. So he returned a couple times. He liked, he preferred Bangor to San Francisco, which is one of the great details. In the end, he would rather spend time in Bangor. He lost his job at the brewery because when he traveled, it was during Oktoberfest, which was the brewery's biggest time of brewing beer. 
And he, after one more visit in 1979, where he tried to live out his life in Bangor, there was no headdresses from local indigenous people. There were no parties or seals to kiss. He was met with very little fanfare. Uh, but he was offered a minimum wage janitorial job uh, at a mall that had just opened. He graciously turned it down and returned to Germany. He's never been back to the States since 1979. And even though he had been dumped from the limelight and did not feel like he wanted to be in Bangor anymore, Kreutz uh, was gracious until the end where he said, uh, thank you, people of Bangor, for your hospitality. It has been a wild ride. So that is the amazing is, story. Is this like Earth. Bangor's tourism company trying to? San Francisco. So confused as to why the story is coming out right now because I saw it all over Twitter, and I was like, "Wow, how did he?" First of all, you probably shouldn't be traveling right now, sir. There's a pandemic going on, yes. and did not realize this was from a thousand years ago. Yeah. yeah. Have you have you ever had any uh, travel mishaps or or miscommunications, Emily? No. Yeah. I mean, I've I've traveled quite a bit, and I've traveled quite a bit by myself, like on your own. And when you do it on mm-hmm. your own, I think that's like where things are likely to go wrong because you don't have anyone to check you and check that you right. have like the train schedules right or something. So yeah. right. Uh, when I, so I lived in China for a little while, and I there was one weekend where a friend and I were going to go to. Um, Beijing to see there was like the World Fair going on at, or something oh, there that one sounds weekend. So fun! That sounds so very good. Cool. And we were very poor at the time. We were grad students, and so we bought the cheapest train ticket available, which was a standing <laughs> room only Ooh, ticket oh, on a fourteen-hour train. Oh no! Um, <laughs> and oh, um, in in Xi'an where I was living and in various parts of China, I think you'll find that like uh, kids, little, really little ones, they often don't have diapers. And so they will usually have the children go to the bathroom on the floor and um, the floors of uh, trains, especially are very stinky and people smoke indoors, uh, or at least they (laughs) did when I was there. And so the whole situation um, felt like very unsanitary. Um, And my friends ended up not coming. And so I have experience (laughs) of like being on a- By yourself? And it ended up, the train got delayed because of flooding somewhere. And so it ended up being a 21 hour train and it was a standing room only. So I had a blanket with me and I like laid on the floor and then like got up and took the blanket and put it directly in the trash. (laughs) I was like, I don't know if I ever want to do something like that again. Um, So that was one. I did also get, when I was traveling alone, in Italy, I had mixed up my bus schedules and uh-huh. I was trying to get back to my hostel and I missed the last bus oh, and boy. I was near a park. And so I'm doing all this calculation in my head. I'm like, okay, well the next, it's like 8 PM. Now the next right. bus is at 7 AM. So if I can just like survive the night, I'll just yes. go into the park, sleep alone, young, single woman, no problem there. Smart. Um, great decision. Great, smart decision. And so I start realizing how smart of a decision that is. And I just start mm-hmm. crying. And so I'm like walking the streets, like with my little backpack crying. And then these two like elderly Italian women pass me and they start speaking to me in Italian, obviously very worried as to why this 
Aww. like distraught woman is crying by herself in the dark. And mm-hmm. um, I was trying to explain the situation in English and mm-hmm. they were like one second and they got their son on the phone who spoke English. I talked to their son and I explained my dire situation and he came with his friends in a car. And so we all, the like the, him and his friend what? and then the two elderly women all got in the wow. car with me in the middle and the back. And they drove me back to my hostel. And I was like, oh. I, that is, I'm not a religious person, but I yeah. feel like that was a sign from the universe that was like, we got you. Oh, that's, right. that's amazing. I yeah. love that story. Always Italian grandmothers coming through. For coming you. through. <laughs> oh, God. Scotty, uh, let's get one more and send us home. How's that wrap sound? it up. You want me to do it? Sure. I just did one. You want, I have a sweet oh, no, one. I got one. Okay, Sorry, wrap it up one. tight. And it yeah. also also kind of works perfectly with, uh, what's, his, what's his name from Bangor? Uh, our our, our uh, Kreutz, yeah. Kreutz, yeah, our German friend was Irvin Kreutz. Irvin Kreutz would have loved this guy. Absolutely. Uh, this was sent in by Ashley Eubank. This is but, from UPI, another favorite here at Bananas. Somehow. Um, by Ben Hooper, who is a, a maestro yes. of the keystrokes. This Absolutely. February 19th. And Ohio Man is, oh, here's the title. Please. Ohio Man foregoes food for 46-day Lent beer diet. Right. And Ohio Man is marking the Christian tradition of Lent by giving up solid foods for 46 <laughs> days and getting the majority of his sustenance from beer. Del Hall of Cincinnati said his Lent diet includes only beer, water, black coffee, and herbal tea. And as of his Friday morning weigh-in, day three of his diet, he was down 5.8 pounds. Oh, that's not that much. I only have three to five beers a day, Hall told. After three days? Oh, three days. Sorry. I thought it was at the end of Lent. I was like, (laughs) hey, bud, your diet sucks. (laughs) Uh, I'm not like, it's not like I'm constantly drinking. If you eat your standard diet, it gets boring. You don't eat the same thing every day. (laughs) So I'm definitely not going to drink the same thing every day. No. Hall said he successfully completed Lent beer diets in 2019 and 2020, each time noticing health benefits of the experience. He said he lost 40 to 50 pounds both years and noticed his blood pressure and cholesterol improved. The human body is an amazing thing, Hall said, especially when you're fucking wasted for 46 days. <laughs> We're used to going through it as hunter-gatherers, feast and oh, famine. God. The problem we is go. we don't go through the famine anymore. Hall is raising money through a crowdfunding initiative called Sergeant Dell's Virtual Tip Jar. He said the money will go towards local bars and restaurants that have suffered oh, losses during that's the nice. COVID-19 pandemic. Like that? that is, yeah. I mean, like, if you drink five beers... With, with, on an empty stomach, you're very drunk. Like, I don't understand how he operates the next day. Like, that's not got to feel... They can't feel good. An empty stomach, five beers, and then you just have For 40 days? Again. No. For 40 days? How do you not die from not eating food for 40 days? I don't think I realized that one could survive Oh yeah, that long. Oh, yeah. I remember... Oh, my God. This is... I loved that... I dated this woman, or I wanted to date this woman. I guess same I thing. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Emily and I almost made eye contact on Zoom. <laughs> he, wait, he knows that that's not the same thing, right? Well, I mean, like we Claudia went Schiffer. together, oh, okay. but I don't know if we would be call it dating. Like she went to my prom with me. This is in high school, so okay. she went to my prom with me. Like that's a date, right? That's, that's the a date, date of dates, right? That's a nice um, date. Can be friendly. But, 
she was a super, super hippie. And oh boy. she lived in a house that was just a group of kids who used to r- run this organization called Wilderness Awareness. So they were like hyper hippies. Party and five. I. <laughs> I remember there was her her roommate. I would like visit her, and I was like, she was older, so she graduated high school, and I was still in high school, and so kind of a, like, oh boy, she was very tall and she's blonde. an older woman, very an exciting. Older woman yeah, that's living cool. in like a share house in Belmar, New Jersey, she and made her, it. <laughs> her her roommate was on. He was fasting, and he was fasting for a month. Right, and so there was during the month while I was kind of like seeing her, okay. so I like kept seeing him. I, w- I would literally just walk by him usually, and he would be on the couch, like wrapped up in a lot of uh, um, like blankets. And then as the month oh, wore on, good. he would just like I would like come, and he would just be on the roof just so he could be in the sun and stay warm. <laughs> oh yeah, this is <laughs> a just sign. Watched him like more, like low, like just just get more and more gaunt and like feeling uncomfortable because he was probably eighteen. He's probably not doing fasting correctly. I know you can fast correctly and stuff. I'm sure he wasn't doing it right, but in their freezer. All they had was frozen animals that he had picked up on the roadside, um, like roadkill that he was going to practice taxidermy on at some point in the future. No, yes, I think there was a duck. Actually, I know there was a duck. Call the cops. Call the FBI. (laughs) (laughs) So this is okay. Sorry, I will end this story. But this is um, because there was definitely a frozen duck in there because at one point she was moving out. So they had to move all of these frozen animals out of the freezer. And so one day she shows up to hang out and she's got a frozen duck and a frozen raccoon with her. And we're at my friend Jeff's house. And she's like, can I put, these are fucking John's or whatever. Can I put these frozen animals in his, in Jeff's freezer? And I was like, normal ask. Can People get asked this every day, all the time. Very normal. Can we, <laughs> we put these frozen roadkill in your freezer, and just uh, like, that's really weird. But okay, no. we can do that. And this is his parents' freezer. You know, yeah. he's still in high school. And then that night, we all take acid. And then, <laughs> at one point, at one point, after like hours and hours and hours, my friend Rue gets he starts he's i just remember like sitting and watching it but he had he went in the freezer and found the duck and no one had told him there was a frozen duck in the freezer god no and so he's on acid he's got this frozen duck he's like what the fuck is this frozen why is there a frozen duck in the freezer he's like jeff what are you doing what are you doing jeff jeff's like it's not mine man it's hers and he's like don't you lie he started like having like kind of a bad trip because of this frozen i would guess so i sit on the couch and watch Rue chase Jeff in a circle. It was one of those houses that like the the the, the staircase was in the middle uh-huh. and then all the rooms were just like around in a circle. Oh, boy. And I just watched for like fifteen minutes where he chases him around screaming like to like to, to explain this duck. Justify this frozen like, duck laughing and running the whole time. <laughs> anyway, oh. long story. He's like, don't it you know it's illegal moment. to <laughs> to birds. Duck pal. That's right. He was handing him a citation. On, on top of everything, he was just citing him. Emily, thank you so much for being such a wonderful guest. Is there anything you would like to plug in the meantime? Is there anything going on that we should know about? Where can we find you on social media? I am everywhere at the Space Gal. I think my latest project that I have uh, really thrown myself into is creating a new clothing line for women and girls that are all NASA and space (gasps) and science themed. And so 
that's oh my god when does it come store. out it's come out it's already out so uh space where, where do we go to get it because i'm gonna go at space gal spacegalstore.com spacegalstore.com oh my god yeah that's wonderful my Excellent. daughter is going to love that yeah. so much i'm gonna get her some stuff for her birthday <laughs> so thank you so much emily yeah thanks for having me bananas bananas This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced and engineered by Katie Levine. Theme music by Kahan. And all of our artwork is done by Travis Millard. You can follow us on Instagram at The Bananas Podcast, where we post stories every day and things that we don't cover on the podcast. Listen, subscribe, and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you're interested in advertising on Bananas, please email us at thebananaspodcast at gmail.com. That's thebananaspodcast at gmail.com. 